So I don't know how things went for you last week, but uh, things got kind of crazy around here. You missed the message, even though you were in the first service and got the message. You missed the message. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, but believe it or not, we pray in a, in a circle before the service starts um, every Sunday. Um, we get together and we have what we call the hoorah. Uh, it happens at 9 o'clock. Everybody that's in here serving gets together. We hold hands. Um, I might share a couple of things or I might just say thank you um, to the people that are serving both services. And, and we pray. And then uh, I, in the midst of my prayer, I always invite the Holy Spirit because we plan. We plan things and we want things to go. And, you know, God planned things. God planned, um, the scripture says, works um, long in advance for us to do as Christian people. So we know God plans. So we plan. Okay, and so we make plans. And it just so happened that right between the two services, God just kind of wrecked um, the message. Okay, so the first service, that's you guys, got one, one message. And the second service got a whole other message from a whole other different scripture. Because the Lord just said, hey, Joe, I need to intervene here. And I need to wreck what you're about to do. And I want you to open up your Bible to this particular passage. And it happened to be Luke 17. Um, I was preaching out of Luke 10 last week. And so I flipped over to Luke um, 17. And it's like, oh, look, um, um, here's the story of uh, the, the 10 lepers that got healed. And God said, this is where I want you to be. I want you to preach this message that um, I've been trying to get into your own heart for the last couple of weeks on living thankfully. And what does it mean for us to live thankfully? And it's like, oh, wow. And so it was an incredible opportunity. Um, it is always good to watch the um, Facebook or so social media from the vineyard or even to just pop onto the website and, and just see because I don't know which service, who missed, and it's always there. And so last week we put both of them up. Michael's team just went ahead and, and put both of them up on there. So if you're like, what are you talking about? You can hear last week's other message um, if you just go online and see it. It's about living thankfully. Um, and so today we're going to go with the message that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. At least right now, I believe the Lord laid it on my heart. Uh, while I was studying, I believe the Lord laid it on my heart. While I was writing it, I believe the Lord laid it on my heart. And I hope it's the same message that second service gets because it's always a little nerve wracking when the Lord says, here's the passage, go. And it's like, wow, I got to preach extemporaneous from that message right there. And it's like, yeah. And then believe it or not, when those things happen, and they don't happen often in my life, but they've happened before, um, I always will go away. And, and I'm not interested in like, hey, was it a good sermon? Did you like it? I always will go away asking God, did I do the right thing? I always will go home and said. God, my soul would not leave me alone, and I changed it up, but did I do what you wanted me to do? And, and I'm waiting, and, and the, the day will come when I see the Lord, and he'll say, Joe, it's all fine. Even if I missed it, he'll say, look, it's all fine. I, I, I made something out of it. And it's kind of one of those things, because my, my deal is, as I chase after Jesus, and as I lead you to chase after Jesus, I, I, I just want to make sure that I'm keeping the main thing the main thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. When we talk about God, this we believe, we're talking about our values in the vineyard. And what is it that we value? And we value keeping the main thing the main thing. And what, what does that mean for you and I? Well, we're going to read this scripture in the book of Exodus, but let me just say this. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey writes this quote. 
The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what he writes. You want to be super successful? You want, to, you want to be that outstanding employee, that incredible human being. You want to be financially successful. You want to be relationally successful. You want to be spiritually successful. More than anything else, when the trumpet blows, man, we want to be spiritually successful. Not like, hey, we earned our right to be here. But when I stand in front of Jesus, I want to know that I got it right. I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so that's what we're looking at today. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 32, it's going to show up up here, but I'm going to read it out of my Bible, um, is the story of Moses. There's a, there's a story here, there's a picture, there's a, there's a, a narrative for you and I to get into um, of, of Moses. And as I'm reading this narrative, the problem is they don't keep the main thing the main thing. And that was a challenge in the second service last week. Sometimes people come to God because they want God to give them something, and they're happy when God gives them something, or they're, ha they're mad that God didn't give them something, but in either case, they leave because they don't want God. They want something from God. Is that the kind of person you are? Do you want God, or do you want something from God? You're saying, God, I need you to fix, do, put back together, uh, undo what I've done. Whatever it is, we've sinned, and somehow we want God to repair our lives. And then we're like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we go on with life, and we've got it. That's what the lepers did. We're lepers, we're lepers. Jesus, come. And Jesus uh, uh, cleansed them. The Scripture didn't say he healed them all. It says he cleansed them, and ten lepers left. And on the way, one leper turned around and came back, and he was a Samaritan. And, and he thanked Jesus. He wanted a relationship with Jesus. He came and interacted with Jesus. And to him and only him, Jesus said, you are healed. To the other ones, they were cleansed. Huge difference. Huge difference. If it wasn't a huge difference, the writer of the gospel would not have written that. There's a reason for that. And I think as you and I come in, the question is, do we want to be like nine that wants something from God? Or do we want to be like one that wants God. And that's why we get together. The scripture in the book of Exodus, and this is a story of Moses and Israel. They've already left Egypt. You know, they've already let my people go. They've already done all that with Pharaoh. And so they're marching across the desert. They're out there. They have not been out there very long. And Moses goes up on a mountain to be with God. And God is going to give him the law, not just the Ten Commandments. He's going to give him the law, okay? And he's going to spell it all out for him. And so we're going to read this scripture. Um, Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you to come. And we want you to wreck our life. God, you wrecked the service last week. And I want to just wreck our lives with this, with this passage, God. This scripture that we're about to, to read. We just pray that you will take this word which is from you and just wreck our lives with it. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain. He went up there to be with God and he's up there for, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 days, okay? Um, but he's, he's up there. It says, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered them and said, um, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed him, and they made it into an idol and cast it in the shape of a calf. He fashioned it with a tool. And then they, excuse me, and then they said, Aaron fashioned it, but then the people said. You see that? Don't lose sight of that. Aaron fashions the, the gold into a calf, but the people said... Um, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow we, there will be a festival to the Lord. Capital L means he's not talking about that calf. Okay, he's talking about the Lord. So the next day the people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward they sat down to eat, to drink, and then got up to indulge in every revelry. Okay, then the Lord said to Moses, remember Moses is up on a mountain with God and God has given him, you know, and the first commandment and all the way through the 10th and then he gives him the laws and all those things. So they're up there having a conversation. It says, and then the Lord says to Moses, go down because the people, your people, whom uh, you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Um, let me catch myself again. And bow down to him and brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. And I love what Moses' response is. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say... It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring the disaster upon your people. Remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give you your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever." Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. And so that's where our story is, and that's what's going on. And this is the picture. Moses goes up there. He spends 40 days with God. He's interacting with God. The people have come out of, e of Egypt. And remember, these people have seen some very, very powerful acts of God. Not just the, ten, or the, the, I mean the 12 plagues. Not just them. They have seen God split the Red Sea, the army of Egypt come into it, and the waters wash back together and drown them all out while they stood there screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the Lord was saying, watch what I do. I'm going to save you. These people have seen these things. And so Moses says, hey, I need to go up on this mountain and I need to be with God. And he goes up on that mountain and he's gone and he's gone and he's gone and he's gone. And they apparently decide he's not coming back. And, and that, that maybe he brought them out here in the desert to kill them all. That they were going to die. And so they attack Aaron. They come to Aaron. They're like, Aaron, make for us gods. Aaron, we don't know when Moses is coming back. Aaron, what is going on? And remember... This is the same Aaron that even went to Moses himself and said, what makes you better than me and Miriam? What makes you in charge of us? Why do you get to be the big boss? And this is probably a good leadership teaching right here. Aaron's left in charge because the boss has gone. 
And you know how that goes. When the boss leaves, everybody's like, take a deep breath, we're going to party. And that's what happened. And they went to Aaron and said, where's Moses? And he said, well, you know, I'm Jim Humphrey. And he said, well, we don't know where he is and we feel like we're going to die. And so we've got a problem here. You make for us some gods. And Aaron doesn't hesitate. He says, give me all your gold and, and whatnot all. And he forms a calf. But then he tries to shift it and say, um, tomorrow we're going to worship to the Lord your God. And that's what we're going to do. But we've got this calf and he builds an altar and the calf is still there. And he's trying to mix religions more than anything in my personal opinion. And that's all it is. He's trying to save his little tuchus. He's trying to not get killed by these people. He's trying to stay in charge. And he's clearly not in charge and that's why God did not choose him to be in charge. And so these people, they sin and they compromise. The devil deceives them into believing the lie. And so let me just begin to pose some questions to you as we go through this message. How many times has God led you somewhere and then he began to let you simmer a little bit while he was doing something and because you couldn't see the hand of God, you began to compromise your life. Because if God's not going to give it to me now, then there's a way that I can get it. And that must be okay with God. Because that's what's going on. How many times has the devil whispered in your ear, you deserve it? They don't understand your worth. Go ahead and take it. Go ahead and indulge in it. Go ahead and be a part of it. Nobody knows and nobody cares, so just knock yourself right out. And these people bought into the lie of, devil, uh, of the devil that the gods of Egypt could save them in the wilderness of our God, who is alone God. They bought into it. And so they fashioned a calf, no doubt in my mind, from the gods of Egypt. Peter says the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. And he is going to come. And we've got this idea that when he comes, he's going to come and, and it's going to be terrible and it's going to be awful and there's going to be demon possessions and there's going to be, you know, red tails and pointed horns and it's going to be all. And it's not that at all. It is not that at all. And so while Moses is up there with God and this debauchery is going on down in the valley below, God says to Moses, stop, stop, stop. Moses is up there taking dictation. You know, God is writing on the stones and Moses is trying to memorize the whole law, not just the Ten Commandments. Then God says, stop, Moses, stop, 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 stop. The people are getting out of control. You go down there because I'm going to kill them all and let me sort them out. That's what he says. And Moses says, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that, Lord. He actually says, if you do that, kill me too. Because you're God and people are going to make fun of you and they're going to say you brought them out here to kill them. And so here's Moses up on the mountain. God sends him down. He's got the Ten Commandments. They're written on the stone. He has the finger writing of God on these tablets. God, he has God's actual signature, handwriting sample on these. He can say, dude, I'll sell these on eBay for billions. That's what I would think, you know. And he comes down the hill and he looks down into the valley and he sees everybody doing all kind of wild, nasty, sexually immoral. Um, just think about the debauchery of foreign gods. And he takes these stones and he throws them down and breaks them into pieces. 
And you don't want to take what God gave you that he put his finger to, which is your life, and throw it to the ground and, and treat it as a common thing. You don't think God will do something about that? Moses had to spend the next 40 days chiseling it out himself the next time around. But that's the picture of what's going on. And then as Moses comes into the crowd, he grinds up their golden calf, sprinkles the dust into the water, and makes everybody drink it. And then Moses blames Aaron for things getting out of control. And Aaron says, it wasn't me, Moses. They were going to do awful things to me. They, 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 we didn't know where you were. And, and I was just trying to keep all you know, these people in the desert together. And, and, and it goes on and on and on. And it's not over. They're still running through the camp. And eventually Moses calls the people to him. And I want you to see this. But he calls the people to him and said, whoever's with me, come over to my side of the camp. And a flood of people go over to his side of the camp, especially the Levites. And he says, strap on a sword. So they strap on a sword. And, and you know, he has said, if you're with me, if you're going to follow God, come on to this side of the camp. But there were still people going around being all kinds of awful. And God said, fine, everybody that's strapped on a sword. And understand this, this is also a punishment for the people who strapped on a sword. Do you understand that? God was going to care for people, but because they wanted to do things their way, and we, we do that, don't we? We want to do it our way. God says, fine, I'm going to let you do it your way, but there's still a punishment for you. And so they strapped on their sword, and Mo Moses told God to tell the people, you go out there and kill everybody that's not with us. And the scripture says they did it. They unsheathed that sword, and they went all barbarian on them. And as you read the end of this chapter and into the next chapter, those Levites, God says, you have set yourself aside because you today killed your brothers. You killed your own sons. Think about that for a second. You're one of the Levites and your own children, your grown children won't come over and join you on God's side. Your brother won't come over and join you on God's side. And God is still inviting you to prove to him that you love him more than you love this world. And you've just put down your own son or your own brother. That's what the scripture says took place. And God says, you've proven yourself, and so I'm separating you out from the world. I'm setting you out, separating you out from the Israelites. And that's what took place. Eventually, the Levites killed about 3,000 out of what is assumed to be approximately 1.6 million people. They killed about 3,000 brothers, sons, family members. As we think about this story, it, it, it began to unfold and disintegrate and to be destroyed when the Israelites took their focus off of God. They didn't keep the main thing the main thing. And it was God that said, come follow me. I'll go before you as a pillar of cloud. I'll go before you as a pillar of fire. I will make a way. Remember I said last week, I will use the hornet to drive the enemy out before you. Let me do it. But every time we do it our way and sin against God, God says, I forgive you. Now you have to bear the brunt of what it's going to take to do it. 
You're going to have to kill all of those people, and some of them are your family. You're going to have to run out the Amalekites, the Canaanites. That wasn't my plan for you, but you're going to suffer loss because you disobeyed me in the wilderness. You wouldn't go into the promised land. You doubted me. Let me say this again. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey has a quote that says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing in every area of your life. And it's important for us to do that. What I want to share with you is just three things. I know it's going to feel like an oversimplification, but I want to tell you that it's not. You pick an area of your life today, your dreams, your dreams for your whole life, your college career, your financial situation right now, your marital situation right now. Pick, pick an area that you're saying, God, I want to win at this. God, I want to be better than everybody around me. I want to be the person that people come to and say, how can we do this? How can we win like you're winning? And it's going to come down to keeping the main thing the main thing. And the first thing is, and I'll tell you this every single time, enjoy life, but don't get distracted. You've heard me say up here many, many, many times, and, and, and you know that I, I like to laugh, I like to run, I like to fly, I like experiences over money and things, I like relationships over experiences even, and, and, and I like to, to enjoy the life that God gave me, and it is my intention to go through this life and to squeeze out every single drop that I possibly can of enjoyment while I'm here. Because I know that I'm only here for a short time and then I'm leaving. But I'm going to have fun. I'm not going to go through life grumbling and complaining and whining every time the Holy Spirit is going to come back and say, Joe, are you living thankfully? And I'm going to come back to, am I keeping the main thing? The main thing. But you, you can enjoy life, but it's imperative that you do not get distracted. And many people get distracted and they give up on God, they give up on church, they give up on small group. And you know what most of them will say? They'll say, well, I got hurt at church or this person did that or this person did that. Listen, you didn't come to church first and foremost to, to, to be with people. You came to meet God. Does God care about me? Does God listen to me? Does he hear me? Does he, does he want to be a part of my life? So when you say, well, I got offended, man, set that down. You didn't come to not be offended. You came to focus on God. And I can tell you, if you're going to lead your family, if you're going to, if you're going to lead your job, if you're going to lead your business, if you're, you have got to keep God first. And you will be challenged. You will be pushed. You will be encouraged to turn to the left or turn to the right. And you have got to stay straight ahead. God told Moses, Moses told the people, so be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you to do. And I'm asking you right now, what has the Lord your God commanded you to do? Not what he commanded me to do. What has the Lord your God commanded you to do? Let that simmer in your heart and then write it down. What has he asked you to do? 
he asked you to do, go make something right? Has he asked you to move on? Has he asked you to spend time with him? Has he asked you to change your business? Has, what has the Lord God asked, commanded you? He said, he goes on to say, do not turn aside to the right or to the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you might live and prosper and prolong the days in the land that you will possess. God is trying to give you a life that you dream of. But it comes from obedience and not turning to the right and not turning to the left. We don't compromise. This is the truth and we live in it, but it's not a club to beat people with. It's an invitation into the family of God. So don't turn to the right or to the left unless you hear God invite you to turn to the right or the left. Don't compromise your values. Chase after Jesus. Stay the course. We're still saying enjoy life. Don't get distracted. But let me give an example. Because I do believe that the failure of marriages of married couples is that they take their focus off the main thing. And what is the main thing in a marriage? Leave, cleave, and become one flesh. That's the main thing. It's in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. It's right there. This is the goal of the... But this is what happens. We leave, we cleave, we become one flesh, and we come back from a week of leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. We had a wonderful honeymoon. Yoo-hoo! We enjoy the next couple of years, maybe. Woohoo! We start having kids, and we supplant the main thing of the marriage with the byproduct of the marriage. Come on! We have kids, and suddenly I hear people say, we don't have time to date, we have kids. You have kids because you had time to date. You got it backwards. You want a marriage because those kids are going to date and leave you. And your marriage will begin to crumble because you can't leave your kids with mom and dad. You can't leave your kid. Well, we haven't found a babysitter. They're 16. You're past needing a babysitter. Leave them alone. I don't trust them. Okay, now we have a problem with your parenting then, okay? But serious. If we can't leave our children for an hour or two to invest in our marriages, we have a problem. If that offends you, come see me. I'll say it again when you show up. <laughs> I will, because I believe in marriage. And I don't have the best marriage in this room because God just blessed me. I have the best marriage in this room because I keep the main thing, the main thing. And my children understand that. And I hope they have the best marriage in the room. But listen, you can apply this to your college degree. You say, oh man, this is about my college. But are you keeping your college career the important thing during your college career? Or are you flying off on every little adventure? And you know, people think that they've got to go to college and they've got to have a five-year experience. What's the fifth year for? Well, it's really the first year. We've got to party like we're rock stars, do whatever we want, and then settle down and straighten up. <laughs> what? Kick them out of college. Stop giving them grants and loans. You went to college to learn, to get a degree, to get out, to get a job, to start adulting. 
focus on what you went for. When you don't keep in your college career the main thing, the main thing, you might drop out because you've lost your focus. Hey, did you see her? Well, what about that? You got a test tomorrow. I don't care. I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll get through it somehow. <laughs> I'm going to go see if she'll go on a date with me. I'm not saying don't find your mate at college. What I am saying is you went to college to get a, good, to get a degree. Yeah, but I went to get a mate. That's a $100,000 mate. Wow. And I hope he's good. I hope he's a good provider. I hope he's a good man. I hope he's a good $100,000. I mean, $80,000 for the cost of an education in America. And, and, you, and you've got a school debt and no degree because you dropped out. I'm not trying to beat you to death. I'm just saying it happens when you don't keep the main thing, the main thing. Pick an area of your life. Let's go on with something else. Number two, the more you pick up, the more you have to be responsible for. When you're keeping the main thing in your life, the main thing, you just understand the more things you pick up in your life, the more you have to actually be responsible for. I think everybody should have to pack up their house every 10 years, put it in two 20-foot box trailers, and haul it off. Whatever won't fit in a box trailer, get rid of. It's crazy what you can accumulate in 10 years, especially with five kids. My wife and I left Western Oklahoma and moved to Kentucky, and seriously, we had two 20-foot box trailers. Actually, one was 24-foot. And we had a van, and we had a dolly, and we had a car, a little pickup on it, and it, it looked like the Beverly Hillbillies hit Richmond, Kentucky. I, we pulled in, and I said, I don't think they're going to let us in town. I really don't. We pulled into the Red Roof Inn, stayed there for three days, four days while we waited on our house to get finished up and, and things like that before we could move in. But we had so much stuff. And when we were packing up our stuff and we saw what wouldn't fit in the thing, we stopped and said, we've been heating and cooling that for 10 years. And some of you are like, well, I've got it in a store and lock for the last 12. <laughs> At $80 a month, get rid of it. You'll have date money. <laughs> then you'll stop saying, we can't afford it. It's because you got it, your life in store and lock. Don't put your life in store and lock. Don't do that. More? I'll get to that in a minute. The book of Hebrews. <laughs> Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And all Paul is saying is, let Jesus be your, your example. He never took his eye off the cross the whole time he was down here. He knew the, here it comes, you ready for this? He knew the end game. He knew the end game. All he had to do was get there. And he wasn't going to be distracted by the devil or anybody else. All God is trying to do is to make your life easier. But we make it difficult by picking up hurts and bitterness and anger and by letting our humanity lead us. Letting our flesh and our attitudes lead us just weighs us down. Paul says, let us weigh, lay off every weight that hinders and the sin that entangles. I'm, you know, if I bring Nick Ray up here, do you guys know Nick Ray? Anybody in here? Anybody? Anybody at all? No, Nick Ray. 
yeah, you better know Nick Ray. I better get a hoot from his wife. You know, it's like, come on. Um, no, I'm kidding. I told Nick Ray I was going to pick on him a little bit. He is svelte, okay? This dude is, I mean, you know, I'm a guy, but he's hot. All right? And I'm just, I'm just... that was not a tweet, okay? That had better not show up on social media or you are out of the shrine. I'm just saying, this dude is good looking, okay? And he's like 2% body fat. And so if I bring... If I bring Nick up here, and Nick and I are going to run a race down around the mall one time, okay? How many of you think Nick's going to win? Go ahead. I can see you. <laughs> How many of you think I'm going to win? How many of you think I'm going to blame it on old age? <laughs> By the way, you just made my Christmas list, okay? I just want you to know that. Yeah. Because I've picked up some stuff. I've got more years than he does. He's a little harder worker than I am. He has a different kind of a job than I do. He actually goes to the gym. I know Jim. <laughs> See? And so he does this. But every single one of us is running races, and there's so many different kinds of races. There's car races and foot races and Iron Man races and Tough Mudders and Spartan races and marathons, and there's a granddaddy of them all, which is what they call the super marathon or ultra running races, which are at least 100 miles. And by the way, there's still five of those that you can get into in Florida this year if you want to run one of those races. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there for you, okay? But sometimes we recognize as we're running a race that the topography changes, the temperature changes, we're swimming. Swimming, we're bicycling, you know, it, there's a mixed type of a race and it's going on. So life is not always going to be the same. But I can tell you this, no matter what the race is, the more you pick up, the slower you're going to go. And if you pick up too much sooner or later, you're going to be sitting on the side of the road taking a break or you're going to take an exit and you're going to drift away from church. You're going to drift away from small group. You're going to compromise yourself with alcohol, drugs, women, men. You're going to try to fill this hole with everything except the God that's supposed to fill that hole. And you're going to wonder, as you're distracted, what happened? What, what changed? We need to get a hold of the idea that the more you pick up, the more you have to be responsible for. Therefore, more is not always better. Sometimes it looks good, but the devil is using it to weigh you down to keep you from running well. And sometimes it's stuff, and sometimes it's attitudes. And we need to grab a hold of those. The more baggage you carry through life, the harder life is going to be, even when you don't realize it. When bitterness and hurt and anger and shame become what you're carrying on your back, and you won't let it go, You've lost the race. And we're not trying to beat everybody else. This is a race where the goal is to finish. And not everybody finishes. Jesus came so that you and I could give him our baggage. As well as our things. As well as our money. As well as our dreams and plans. Can you say that's your relationship with Jesus? Last thing I want to share with you is this. And I really want you to get a hold of this. If we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, you can't do everything. Look at your neighbor to your right or to your left and say, I can't do 
everything. You can't, man. You cannot go through life doing absolutely everything. There's a phenomenon out there called FOMO, fear of missing out. You know what the fear of missing out is? It's the reflection that as a society we're trying to do everything. And I don't want to miss out. So what you do instead is in your relationship to God you say, what do I do? What do you want from me, God? And I'm saying, have fun. Enjoy yourself. But you can't do everything. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Matthew says, I'm going to skip to Matthew 6. Matthew says, so don't worry, saying, but what are we going to eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or... Let me put my finger there. How am I going to get more money or go on vacation or buy that bigger house or get that supercar or whatever it might be? Instead, because the pagans are running after these things and your heavenly father already knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus is saying in his Sermon on the Mount, which is it's equatable to Moses on the Mount. Jesus is saying, keep the main thing the main thing. When you're at the Walmart, be at the Walmart for Jesus. When you're on the highway, be on the highway for Jesus. When you're going to meet somebody for coffee, meet them for coffee in the name of Jesus. But keep the main thing the main thing. Chase Jesus. Have fun, but chase Jesus. Slow down and take time to look around. You can't do everything. See the world. Don't just look at the world. See people and make new friends. Grow into a giver instead of a taker. And goodness sake, open up your Bible and believe. Believe that this is for you. For us at the vineyard, our main thing is Jesus. We preach Jesus crucified, risen from the dead. We preach Jesus interceding on our behalf. We preach Jesus empowering us and sending the Holy Spirit to us. And it's all about Jesus. Christianity is all about Jesus. Why did he come? How did he come? What did he say? What did he teach? What does he expect? When is he coming back? What is he still telling us to do today? And what is he about to do in your life? But in all of that, we're still saying Jesus. We're not turning this place into King's Island. It's not Nickelodeon. My goal, my heart is for Jesus to get a hold of your heart and for you to be able to build your life on truth, not opinion or preference. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't get distracted. Don't pick up everything that's shiny. That's what crows do. They pick up everything that's shiny. Don't do that. Don't be a crow. Stay focused on your dreams, your God-given dreams. But in all of that, what's distracting you? 
What's weighing you down? What do you feel like you're missing out on? What do you know? What do you know is keeping you from running well? Sometimes it might be the fear for somebody else, not of somebody else. You're so focused on a family member or a friend that their life is just going to hell. And you're like, God, I, I'm just watching this unfold in front of me. I don't know what to do. It might be something like that. But it takes your, tra- your, your uh, uh, focus off of God. God will take care of that. Pray for them. Be there for them. But don't make your life their life. We want to pray for you today. Let's come up to our feet. Because we're getting this way, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say it this way. The Lord wants me to invite you up here before I leave the stage, not as I leave the stage. So let me just ask you, if you're relating to this and you're knowing this is you, could you come up here? Can we pray for you? Just, just step out and come on up here. We're going to sing this song. We're going to begin to wrap our service up. It's, it, we're, we're, we're on time. Can we just pray for you? There you go. Can we pray for you? Can we pray for you? Can we pray for you? Something is distracting you from your relationship. Go ahead and start praying, please. But something is distracting you. Something is weighing you down. Something is taking your focus off of Jesus. Come here. Can we pray for you? Come here. We're here for you today. This message is for you today. You came in here because God wanted to talk to you today. He already wore me out all week wore me right out this is for you you know why because he's not mad at you he loves you and he wants you to run fast and he wants you to run well and he wants you to run unhindered because he loves you we're going to go into this song they're going to be here but this is what we do on sunday mornings we pray